0: Gaming NBS episode 206, coming to you Wednesday, August 29th, 2018.
1: Welcome to Gaming NBS. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, folks. Glad to have you all on board. How you doing, Sean? Doing fantastic, Brett. How are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Not too it's, bad, huh? Yeah. It's hot. It's muggy. I don't like that. I want to be cold. My father-in-law would call it mudgy. Mudgy? Yes, it's I've mudgy heard that too. mudgy out. Yeah. Yes. It's not fun. You sit outside and you're in crotch soup. It's just very uncomfortable. <sighs> Meatball stew, baby. <laughs> That's,
0: <laughs> That's right. what it's all And about. as
1: we just lost the other half of the listeners we had, all right, right then. So, should we just get into this, man?
0: Yeah. Should we get? Do we have any announcements other than the usual?
1: Other than the usual, hole, Evercon, QCC. QCC is soon. That's like next week type of thing by the time the sucker drops. We'll they should there. have
0: a LARP at Niagara Falls and see if somebody goes over in a barrel.
1: It's it's the barrel LARP. It's difficult and dangerous, but uh, you sign the right paperwork you're in. It's all good. Barrel LARP. It's barrel, a
0: special event.
1: It's, a, it's Hobbit. It's Hobbit themed, so it's the barrel rider LARP. So, it's all good. Oh, sweet. It keeps the fantasy theme going. It's all good.
0: I would totally sign up for that.
1: I signed you up for that. I wish I could be there to partake in that. Oh, I'll I'll make sure you're there. Don't worry. Okay. Well. (laughs) All right, then. Arg. All right. So, should we... Do we want to do the other thing now, or do we want to just go into Random Encounter? We'll go into Random Encounter. All right. We'll do that. You do the the other thing. All right. That was quasi-mysterious and useless. (laughs) Random Encounter.
0: All right. We got a voicemail from Chris Shorb. Awesome.
2: Hey, Brett and Sean. It's Chris Shorb calling in um, in reaction to, I guess this is episode 204. I'm behind by an episode or two, so I think it's episode 204. I wanted to react to Blake Ryan Batman's uh, voicemail. And first of all, I think he's spot on. There's something to me that just feels inherently unfair about the. Three uh, D six right down the line, or even just random rolling, uh, compared to a uh, points by system like, like GURPS or Vampire the Masquerade or what have you. Um, there is something to be said about uh, there is something to be said about playing into some of those foibles and, and frailties of a character. But some you know I'm playing in a D&D campaign where we rolled down the line and there's a character whose stats were just across the board except for I think charisma and he's playing a rogue and I'm playing a monk and so charisma doesn't really matter much but I think charisma is the only place where things are slightly different where I got a 10 and he got a 9 or something like that. So um and like Blake Ryan said it just it feels doesn't feel as fun. Um that said there is a game, uh, and I, I think I count this game a lot, maybe not on my voicemail to you guys, but the the Apocalypse Engine games. First of all, Dungeon World is the one I'm most familiar with. It does have a points buy system or or a assignment of, of attributes. But in addition, when you fail, really interesting stuff happens. It's not just, oh, you rolled a failure, that's it, your turn's over, move on to the next guy. No, when you fail the narrative, the story responds to that failure in a very interesting way. That's that's what makes the the Powered by the Apocalypse games so great, uh, at least the ones that I've played. Uh, and in addition, you've got that middle ground where you can fail forward or you can uh, succeed with a cost, that 7-9 roll. So overall, um, I don't know if this is a year of the bread or you year of the Sean, but uh, maybe uh, we'll have a month of the Blake. So that's it. Thanks, guys. Keep up the good work.
1: Love the show. Bye. What do you think about that, Brett? I don't like Dungeon World that much. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not a big <laughs> Apocalypse why, World why, guy. Why,
0: Brett? <laughs> what? Why, why wanna, is it? Why is it,
1: Brett? I don't want to insult everybody who likes us, Sean. No, but I, there,
0: you can have an opinion and base it upon I do have something. an opinion.
1: So my, my opinion with it is that, basically, it feels to me very much, every time I play it, that you either... You can't do it. You can kind of do it. You can kind of do a little better and then finally you get to do it. I also often feel that I can argue the fact that I could just uh, I can justify danger for everything because I can. I can I can argue that in. And I despise the don't speak the move thing that drives me fucking bananas. I don't know why, but it drives me bananas.
0: Well, I was setting you up, but it wasn't particularly for that angle. Well, that was my thing. Well, I thought your thing would be that you can still narrate a failure. Oh, yeah. Right? You can still do that in other games, although it's not mes- necessarily a mechanical piece.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think what it's trying to do, what I my experiences with it have been, what I, it is trying to do, it does very well. I just don't like the way it does it. It doesn't work for me, and I don't know why. I played very little of it, so that means I need to play more of it so I can figure it out. So kind of like didn't... when we had Christian and Ron on a while back, and we were talking about Savage Worlds. I need to play more Savage Worlds to find out if I really like it. Right? I, you can't play a game once and say, "Oh, that game fucking blew." I mean, you got to give it a couple of tries. You got to get other game masters. You got other people to do stuff for you. So, Brett? Yeah, Sean.
0: I'm going to ask you a question here. Okay. So, since since Christian and Ron were on the show. We talked yeah. about Savage Worlds.
1: Yeah. Have I played how, it since then? How many
0: times have you played since then?
1: None. I've not had anybody who's been <laughs> able to run it for me. When, I, when I've been available to game, I've had both Christian and Ron said, hey, Brad, i run a game for you. Now, granted, I have not been available to run or play, excuse me. I've not been anywhere where someone is running a game that I've had the time to get in on it. I'm When the time comes, if I like Game GameholeCon or I'm out at QCC, if I can find one, I'm going to hop in because I want to give it another go. So when
0: you go to QCC, you know the sneeze runs Dungeon World
1: pretty. Absolutely, he's the one I played Dungeon World under. I had fun. Oh. I just like meh on the mechanics. Like I said, the mechanic. If I look at it from like a really strict mechanic-y thing in Brett's little brain, I'm like, eh, ah, this doesn't wow me. Doesn't blow my hair back. <laughs>
0: That's okay. It's all good.
1: Oh well, no, and I like I had a I had fun playing it. I also played Fate Accelerated. With uh, Tom Flanagan running Dresden Files. I don't like Fade Accelerated that much. It wasn't that much fun as a system. The game was a blast, though. I had fun with Tom and Sneezak and everybody else we were playing with. Kevin and Andy and whatever. It was great. It was a great game. The system? Meh. Didn't wow me. But I've only played it once. So I need to play it more. All right. All right. So now, now, every... you've, now you've called me out as a jackass. I'm going to sit here and hey man, drink some vodka while you read it. That's what this is all
0: one. about. This isn't Kumbaya podcast, Brett.
1: Just shut the fuck up and read
0: it. <laughs> all right, let's. Are you want to read this or do you want me to read it?
1: You're reading. I'm sulky and drinking
0: now. All right. George Sedgwick emails us. Subject line, you bullies. Sean and Brett, please stop picking on Fitor. I know he's an easy target, but really, in this day and age, you should be more open minded about whom you single out as an example. What about Druid? He could use a bath. Or the unfortunately named Barbara Arian. My my dudes, (laughs) let's get a new punching bag.
1: Okay, all right. Fair enough, fair enough. Wizard.
0: Yeah. Foolishness aside, I have something I'd like to hear you talk about someday, and that topic is the precise moment of PC death. I don't mean PC death in general. You've spoken about that before as many as have many others. Instead, I mean the actual moment in the game when Druid drops below zero hit points and fails whatever save-your-life role is possible. What happens at your table right at that moment? Most of the players end up shitting their pants. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah. Well, not necessarily. They just kind of look at each other, and one of them might mope a little. Uh, do you let the players narrate his or her character's last gasp? Do you take the character sheet away and rip it up with gusto? Oh, yeah. Oh, or back you... in the
1: day. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What is it? You know what? It, what is it? Like, uh, Pemberfoot did that. He's like, you know what RIP stands for? Grabs a <laughs> <Rip. the> character <laughs> sheet and <laughs> rips it <in> half.
1: <laughs> did you have, okay, as quick as that, have you ever torn a player's character sheet in front of them? I, I don't
0: think I've ever
1: done that. Oh, I did. <laughs> do you have? Back in high oh, school shocker. days? Back in high school days, we were like, character's dead. No. <laughs> crumple, crumple. <laughs> Drop it like confetti. Dead.
0: Write in if you're surprised at that response, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That was a
1: long time ago. But We're taking a poll.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, do you, okay. Uh, or do you let the sheet disappear into the player's dog-eared trapper keeper? Hey, I've got a trapper keeper, and I think I've got some old dead characters in there. Probably. I haven't had one of these death scenes for a long while, even though I run gritty games, so I'm thinking about how to handle the next one, which might be coming up soon. Also, though I have written this to Brett before, perhaps on Facebook, you say so many things that make it sound like you'd love playing The One Ring if you gave it a try. The lore is great, and like Merp, source books uncover great secrets. Furthermore, there are excellent rules for travel and downtime, both of which are integral to the world and the game, just like in the novels. Combat is pretty gritty as well. Two rounds and you're out. I know you can't make your group play it, but whatever, just make them play it or something. Guys, your podcast is excellent. Thank you so much for all you do. George.
1: You know, George, I had at one time a copy of The One Ring and a couple of uh, supplemental books that went with it. I started reading through it, and I went, huh, hmm, interesting. And then I went through a purge where I went through a lot of games I hadn't or I hadn't run, and I didn't think I could get to run or whatever. And I looked at it and went, oh, jeez, if I'm going to run Middle-Earth again, I'm going to run Merp. I'm not going to run the one ring. And I knew a guy who was like, oh, I'll take that off your hands for X amount. I'm like, done. Made a, made a little bit on it. And I sold it. That said... The game's still out there. It's still obtainable. So I may go back out, based on what you're saying here, George, and uh, see if I can't find me a copy of the core rules. and give her a read. Why not? If nothing else, the source books? That could be pretty cool. Just for that.
0: Cool. That, just for that. Got
1: okay, anything else, Sean? One of the other horrible bread <laughs> insights you want to... Now guys like Ray Otis <laughs> and Chris are going to hate me when they see me, because Ray's like a big, world guy. He's going to punch me. dude.
0: There are plenty of people that have opinions of games. There's nobody out there that loves every single game they ever play.
1: So it's okay if I don't agree with everyone? It is okay, Brett.
0: Awesome!
1: And this platform, you can spew how much you hate all the games that you hate. Well, that's a little harsh. But I just like the fact that people can have opinions that are wrong. Because that's going to come in handy for the main topic.
0: That's right. Shall we get to
1: that, then? Nice <clears throat> eight, nice segue, Brett. Hey, i try. Holy and... shit, man. I'm on my A game.
0: <laughs> Here we go. Let's do this thing.
1: <laughs> All right, Brett. What are we talking about tonight? Well, we've been trying to talk about high magic, low magic. You and I have dished about this back and forth. And we got into a little bit more when we started talking about Eberron. And in the spirit of two guys who are probably really wrong and they're ready to announce it to the world, I thought we'd bring Wayne and Christian on and see what they had to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my
3: God. <laughs> You're killing Great intro. Thanks, killing me. <laughs> killing me, Smalls.
0: Wayne and Christian from Manifest Zone pays the BS show a, a visit.
1: Well, we have to educate Brett, so... Well, somebody's got to. Well, Christian's been here before, so he was fully prepared for the level of ass-hattery that was in store for him. Wayne, I've met at QCC, so he had a pretty good idea what level of ass-hattery was in store for him. (laughs) So anyway, um, what the genesis of this was, as I said, was we were talking about the new Eberron release on DM's Guild. Sean's a big Eberron fan. And I've been poking him periodically, and he keeps telling me it's not high magic. And when I hear things like lightning rails and... You know, what what I view as magical automatons that are PCs and ever burning torches. I'm like, dude, that's high magic, high magic. And Christian and Wayne both kind of justly try to smack me down a little bit on the G Plus <laughs> and said, Hey man, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's uh let let's talk a little bit here about this. So we're on to talk about it.
0: Well, and I should say that I I try to talk to Brett every week. I try to convince him. I I sometimes agree with him. Sometimes I don't agree. And I was just really tired at that point. I thought, well, I'll just get, let's just get two other guys on here to just tackle it.
1: Ta- or tackle me <laughs> it's one or the other. so basically basically you're calling in the reinforcements is what you're doing right. so sean's so sean's gonna sit on me while you guys lecture right it's like it's, like, it's
4: like when you get that bully picking on you and you're like i'm gonna get my older brother to come in and or something to that effect i don't yeah. need oh, to take dad. this shit i got two other guys that'll back right. me up on this so before we start uh sean did you burn your ebron books for you know magical tattoos <laughs>
0: Oh, God. Yeah, I knew Christian <laughs> was going to bust my chops. I'm just saying. I just want to
4: start with that, all right? And, uh, no, but also, um, thanks for having me back on, man. Uh, yeah, it was, what, what was that, episode 80? Was that was it that long ago?
1: Yeah, it was a long time back, dude. Man,
4: Savage Worlds, yeah, with Ron, that was fun. That was a lot of fun.
3: So, uh, thanks for having me on again, and, uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, this is my first time on the show, and uh, I think anybody who's actually heard me on the mics from other shows um, I blame uh Sean and Brett specifically for getting me on the air. So it is completely their fault. If you guys hate me, you, it, it's totally their fault. Damn it. Totally dude. In. <laughs> yes. You can't win, man. You can't win.
1: <laughs> can't win, <Ugh>. can't win. <laughs> So, all right. So before we go too far, I mean Manifest yeah. Zone, what what's that? That's that's your podcast you guys are doing. What what's that all about? Let's get that out there right now.
4: Yeah, so that it was kind of funny and um well, part of the humor is that Sean was actually part of this conversation, where I was literally having three different conversations with three different people about doing an Everon podcast. Sean was mm-hmm, one of those, mm-hmm. and uh, due to scheduling things, you know, Sean wasn't able to participate, which I'm really still sad about Sean. But um, and um, and and the whole thing came about because we were like, man, like you know, like, well, what well, the other person was Scott W, Wayne, of course. They and, ditched
0: me. They ditched me for the the big guy.
4: Uh, yeah, so
1: we got Keith Baker, which was, a, <laughs> so they, that was they, It was either Sean <laughs> Kelly or the designer and developer and originator and uh, the man behind the mask. Well, to be uh, fair,
4: to be fair, is when Sean said, "Hey, I don't think I'm going to be able to, you know, make it work schedule wise." And I said, "You know what? You know, I've I've corresponded with Keith in the past, and let me just." on a whim let me just see if he's interested and sure enough he was like yeah you know i'm interested i love talking about everyone so uh and then the scheduling worked out well because he's like i can only do it once a month i'm like that's okay i can only do it once a month too Mm -hmm. so uh worked out really well and it's it's been amazing quite honestly it's it's
0: it's one of those band like the behind the music kind of stories yeah like Sean Kelly, fifth Beatle, didn't make it, left an opening for Keith Baker to join Manifest Zone. Right. I mean, you know. So right.
1: Wayne, if I heard correctly though, you were never um, about Sean getting on the show. You were kind of pushing Sean off. Is that is that
3: <laughs> true? Well, told, I, we all were. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, when 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 uh, when Christian was like, you know what, should should we invite you know Sean or Keith Baker, and you know Scott and I looked at each other went... Fuck that guy. You know, it's a, it's a really, really tough decision. I love um, you, Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> Re- <laughs> really, really really tough decision. I mean, uh, but then Christian was like, you know, Sean's schedule just does not match up. You know, he wants to do a weekly podcast. We're like, oh, man, that, that just doesn't work for us. And uh, yeah, we we had to go with Keith. Just, you know, th- it was, just, it was a purely a schedule thing. Sean. Yeah, Wayne, Wayne fought. Literally. He fought for you, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I fought really hard. I just it was just like, just, but no. it's it's Sean. I mean, we need the guy that says... You know, it depends. Every <laughs> third sentence, you need you need that guy on the show. Right? That's right. <laughs> hey, hey I,
0: I bought your latest product, Wayne. It's it's already done, buddy.
4: <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. okay, okay. Well, All right. So, uh, yeah, checks uh, in the mail. <laughs> So and, so and the reason why we thought of it, by the way, was that um, there were a lot of people who were trying to make Eberon work in Five E, and what we were seeing around was was one, there was, there was a gap, there was a lack of information about Eberron. but two, also that people we we saw, in our opinions, of course, is you know we're humble people, but in our opinions, we felt like people just kind of weren't really getting Eberon um, to some extent, mm-hmm. and so just the way they interpret things, like you know, if I see. Warforged being presented as like programmed robots with gears and stuff. I'm I'm gonna like I'm gonna flip a table, man. It's, <laughs> that's like my one of my big pet peeves. But um, but also the idea that it's like you know steampunk or magic punk or something to that effect. It's like stop putting punk in everything, please, dear God. It's not anything punk. It's just D and D, you know, in a logical taken to a logical, um, mm-hmm. sort of place, I guess. Well,
1: I'll tell so. you what. Then, so I said. You know, Sean and I got our little yep. very brief back and forth. I said, Ah, it's high magic, says Brad. No, says Sean. Fuck you. Blah, blah, blah. We said, ah, whatever, done. What piece of that and Christian we'll start with you, but what, what was your gut reaction to when I or anybody says, Oh, it's high magic, obviously, because of lightning rails, warforge, blah, blah, blah. What is your gut reaction when someone says Ebron is a high magic setting?
4: It's that the there's there's um There's a concept that people grab onto when they hear high magic, and it's that it's just super powerful magic. Uh, And that's what Ebron is not. It's actually ubiquitous, low-level magic. So it's wide magic. And Keith will actually use that exact phrase, wide magic, which means that nothing really above third level or so is common. It's all really low-level stuff. and And all it is... Is presuming that, given the mechanics of D&D, you have magic that is repeatable, observable. Com- you can communicate it. You can, you can teach it. You can learn it. It's science, and it's where, where a setting like D&D, or, or not like D&D, but assuming D&D rules, a setting would evolve to in terms of let's just use this to make our lives convenient. You know, and
1: uh, and that's, if I can make it of a burning torch, why would we not sell those, right? Why would exactly. I not make? Why would I not make that and just have it something everybody has? Exactly.
4: So this isn't anything different than what D and D already presents. It's it's just taking it to a logical place, like you know what would you you know. So some people will even say, oh, has anybody done uh, like gunpowder or you know firearms in Eberron? And, and Keith and and a lot of others will say, well, why would you even bother? Like, why would you use a crude instrument like that when you can just use a wand? Especially now in Five E, where a wand is just a focus item for any spell you're casting. You know. Okay. And you know, and that and that's really what it boils down to. So, so I think, I th- in my opinion, I think with the with the discrepancy is when people say high magic, it's like relative to what. But also, are we talking about uh, ubiquity or are we talking about power level?
1: There's the other thing that you said there is wide the ubiquity the ubiquity component of it. I think that's really interesting because I honestly, I think in, um, in what you just described there, I think that's where my head goes when I hear ubiquity. I think obviously it's high magic because if magic is everywhere, it's high magic. However, you're saying that it's power level as well as ubiquity. So Wayne, when you do you agree with that? Is that your your perspective as well or do you have a, anything else to add in there?
3: That's pretty much it. I mean, that's something that Christian and I, uh, when we first had, had chatted about it, it was something that we really did agree on and it's something that i think that people don't really realize is that it's like like you said it's magic taken to the next logical conclusion it's magic um as a type of technology as a type of power source um to create certain effects i mean we you know if you think about history we created steam power figure out how to how to figure out steam and we made a train uh, we figured out electricity, and we managed to figure out a telephone. Um, you know, we managed to figure out flight from enough power and and the combustion engine and all that stuff. Now imagine that all those power sources, all the things that are doing that, are done through a, a type of science. Now, you, you, you know, the some science so so advanced that you can't tell the difference between magic. If you think of it as an extension of that you've created this black box that's powered by magic, and this black box can do certain things. It can power a train. And a train is not to us. I, I mean, even if you went back a little bit, people might think, oh my gosh, this is a, a huge invention. And in that, that perception, it might seem like it's magical. But to the people of Eberron, to the people of Corvair, a lightning rail is just, it's their technology. It's, <clears throat> it's their, you know, Modern conveyance, um, that kind of thing. So, like, like when we talk about ubiquity, it's yes, everybody knows. It's it's a stage where everybody knows what a train is. Everybody knows what a, a telephone is. Um, everybody knows, you know, what a wand or the personal personal protection conveyance is. Uh, but they don't just see it as a a steam train uh, or a coal train. They don't see it as. Uh, electric electricity powered you know telephone or telegram line, and you don't see it as a gun, but it's that sort of, it's that sort of that sort of power scale level, um, and that's very very wide. But the person who can basically bring down a meteor from sky, from the sky, that basically doesn't exist except for in the player characters.
1: Okay, right. Sean, you Sean, you buying this? It's work. <laughs> it's working on me. It's working on me. I want to know if you're. I want to know if you're in.
0: Well, you, I also, you. I'm also
1: trying to find out if you're actually no Ebron because I want to know right now. Know. I'm trying to figure out if you're a poser through part of the. I'm this totally question. a poser,
0: man. <laughs> that's why I wanted to join their podcast, man, so I could learn about it even more more than I know.
1: Get some get some Ebron cred finally.
0: So you, Brett, you have never, you don't know. I mean, you don't know anything about Ebron. What, where have you read anything like? <clears throat> no. Okay, so you're so, like completely ignorant to it.
1: I went so completely is too strong. So when I when I see things like lightning rail. The ubiquity of the magic items and especially quite frankly, the warforged like threw me off because I'm like, if you have magical, large fucking construct golems that are NP that are PCs, clearly high magic is there. And I think where I'm going is <clears throat> not only the ubiquity, but my assumption it sounds like I'm wrong here is the assumption is that the power level has to be way the hell up there, i.e., something higher than third level. I mean, if we're making sentient golems. Right, as player characters, we have to have a high power level. High power level, of course. You know, I, I'm thinking Forgotten Realms or greater, and it sounds like from what you guys are laying on me now, that is not true. So I think not only just from the ignorance of Eberron, but I love the way that this is making me rethink high versus low because the concept of the ubiquity of what power level, right? So even because if, if I crack in my Avalon world and I say, well, there is ubiquity of magic there. It's really small. It's like, instead of third level and up, this is like second level and under type of thing. That's more common. You don't have, you have, you know, potions that kind of half-ass work type of thing. But you have alchemists on the street corners that sell you things. They're effectively, you know, very nerfed magic. But it's there. And I wouldn't say that's high, That wouldn't say that's a high magic setting. Because while it may be ubiquitous, the power level is really low. So I, I like where this is going. So this makes sense to me.
4: Yeah, and I, and I should clarify two things. Like, um, First of all, the living construct concept. Um, yes, they exist. And yes, that's pretty powerful magic. But truth be told, House Kenneth doesn't actually fully understand how they even made
1: them living constructs. Ah, okay. So it's kind of one of the uh, mysteries of the science. Yeah. As well.
4: Basically, what, you know, the, if you think about like weird science in a pulp sort of setting, right, where you just kind of like find something and you kind of like mash parts together and you're like, oh, cool, something came out of this. That's kind of what House Kenneth did with stuff that they discovered down in Cendric. And so they find like some of these like ancient, you know, relics or, you know, creation forges. Um, in Zendrik, that was, you know, that were, that were created by the giants or, you know, possibly by the quarry, for example. They, they borrow some of that technology. They bring it over. And basically, it was, you know, it was one particular uh, member of House Kenneth, uh, Aaron De Kenneth, who was able to take the Warforge concept that his father made and grant it sentience through some of the s- stuff that he found, right? whatever Whatever it was. But there's never, they never really understood what made them living exactly. It just worked. And then they just duplicated it. Um, so I think that's that's one important thing. And this isn't like anybody also can go and just create a living construct, right? This, okay. is, this is like this this very specific technology that can only be used by somebody with the mark of making. Um, and again, they don't even fully quite understand how it works. The other thing is when you look at airships, airships are actually uh, they're an invention that came out of the last war, and they came out really close to, or closer toward the end of the last war. And there's not that many of them. And still to this date, you know, at the start of the campaign date, um, basically when somebody looks up and they see an airship, that's like, wow, there's an airship. It's a big deal. Okay. You know, that, not, that's cool. Yeah. So
1: it's not ubiquitous, right? That That's some potent shit. And there it is. Oh my God. Come take a look, kids.
4: It's known, but but it's it's not necessarily like, you know, there's like a fleet of airships flying around all over the place. Like people don't have like a Navy of airships, you know, for their nation, for example. So, but, but it is, it is known and it's, it's, you know, when you look up in this, you know, city, uh, let's say if you're in Sharn City of Towers and you look up and you see an airship flying overhead, you're like, wow, hey, look at that airship, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's still
1: a wonder, you know. So with the Warforge being, you know, kind of that crazy ass wonder of magic that happens, happens to be a player character race, how many of them are there across, across the land? I mean, are they common or when you see one are there like five you know, are there five of them a thousand of them millions of them? there's a lot of them i don't know a what lot? the numbers okay. are and they were
4: they were produced in mass throughout the last war now they've only been produced since 33 years ago at the start of the campaign okay. um so mm-hmm. the oldest one you're going to have is only 33 you know at, if, if it's still alive and um you know that the, the, the there, there are a lot of them um and they're distributed you got to remember that these were like almost whole units that they would produce and sell to a nation um like tanks basically right yeah or just you know like foot soldiers, you know foot soldiers right? or soldiers yep. they put on the front lines yeah and um you know but the other thing to keep in mind is that at the at the when the treaty of Thronehold was signed one of the stipulations was that uh house kenneth had to shut down all their creation forges and no more warforged could be produced. So, as a warforged, as a player character, we we actually have an episode about this. By the way, Brett, if you want to learn about everyone, <laughs> well, this this is, amazing this is podcast called. I Manifest heard Run. about it. I heard about it. Yeah.
1: No, this is this is my this is my EDBD primer to see if it's. This is cool though. I didn't. So the other thing that, that Sean has thrown at me is he said it's kind of. I think you said, uh, Sean, it's kind of noir. At least as a way you've explained mm-hmm. it to me before, and again, when I see it. And I, I see that stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't, I, just, I can't grok that and put the two together. However, bizarrely enough, I love Samurai Jack. Mm-hmm. So I'm watching the Samurai Jack cartoon, and there's an episode where there is this um, – it's a very noir episode where there's this assassin robot who dresses in a three-piece suit and so forth. He's got this little pug dog named Lulu. And the bad guy, Aku, kidnaps his dog, Lulu. He has to try to go kill Jack. It's a very noir, crazy-ass thing and um and i i told i'm like oh that makes sense it totally fits it feels very noir and gritty and everything but i'm like that's a robot doing this thing and so i'm trying to take that piece and slide i guess my understanding that i was able to wrap my brain around that and move it over here so wayne i'm gonna throw this one at you when you think about the setting so when i think high when i think lower magic the ubiquity and the lower power level and i start thinking of the types of adventures and such i do tend to think of that new noir kind of that gritty street level stuff because if mm-hmm. you're not chucking fireballs and lightning bolts and summoning demons and fucking wish spells and stuff you know you're just to compare it's not a forgotten realms or gray hockey type of thing what kind of um when you are thinking low level magic or this ubiquity and so on what types of stories and adventures are you are you thinking of in that space
3: i think one of the things um like i mean just to set a set of scale from comparison, I mean. I think everybody can agree that Forgotten Realms is high magic. I mean, it's it's quite ubiquitous anyways. Um, but it's it's pretty high. I mean, you've got the, the big people in, in the realms are, are wizards. Um, one of the things that Keith said, and I actually never thought about it this way, but now it makes sense, is that in Eberron, it is not a balanced world. It is a world where evil has evil has the upper hand. And you need the player characters, you need the characters to even out the score, because they're the good guys, right? That kind of makes it part of the noir thing. I mean, when you think about a noir adventure, just in general, because I think people don't, I think, uh, Christian and I agree on this one, is that people sometimes run Eberron just out-of-the-box D&D, and while you can do that, I think it just it leaves a little bit out of what Eberron can really be. And we talk about the first part is, is the noir part where's the the intrigue, the mystery, the um, the investigation, the dark betrayal, the dark aspects of it. You you need to have that in there because otherwise you're not really run, you're just running kind of standard fantasy at that point. And specifically for Eberron is stuff that at least when I look at it and when I'm 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 running stuff, I'm trying to look at stuff that would you can't just solve with your powers. You can't just solve with your I'm going to, you know, I'm going to cast wish and and you, you can't solve the problem that way. Like that's not the point. The whole point is to get into it, you know, elbows deep into the mystery, into the the um the adventure, the module whatever you're running and experience the mystery and intrigue and the frustration and the betrayal and the hurt and the Deep kind of characters, the multifaceted characters um, in that, you know, that's that's the one part of Ebron I think that people uh, may shy away from because they may not be used to doing that. that. I'm not saying that you have to, but you may not be used to doing that. And when it comes to magic, when you're trying to design something, you kind of want to try to design something, at least in that section, that magic is not just going to solve, you know, like that. You can't just be like, well, we got to find this object. Well, I cast locate object, and it's here. Well kind of want to get around that you don't want to invalidate someone's character abilities but you don't want to just give it to them and be like yeah you can find it We're like oh wait it's right here uh, sort of thing I mean it's also the um, it's the um, the references and the things that inspire you about it I mean in terms of that that dark you know gritty noir feel you know look at some of the the noir the noir settings and things around I mean look at the things that um, you know, Strangers on a Train, you know, anything, Alfred Hitchcock, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, um, sort of those kind of like dark things, um, you know, any of those kind of movies um, for that, that side, and you can kind of get an idea. I mean, even um, Blade Runner. I think yeah. Blade Runner is actually a really amazing example of this as well. You know, um, one of the things you one of the things you said, I'm going to jump in on you for a sec. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the things
1: you said at the beginning that's just resonating in my head is, it's an unbalanced world. When I hear unbalanced, my first thought is, ah, that means there's, you know, a PC monster balance, right? Cause I'm in that D and D zone. But when you take it to what you said is that, I think you're kind of quoting, <clears throat> quoting our founder here on this one is <laughs> um, saying, Hey, evil has the upper hand. And that is to me a very, that's one way to make it so that, you know, the ubiquity, the power levels tend to be down. You don't have, you know, the bad guy may have the extra McGuffin. He may be able to hide the thing. So your locate object won't work. Because he's the bad guy. You know, he has the thing or she's got that thing because they're evil. They're bad. That's why they can do it. I do try to do a similar thing in Avalon where it's, it feels like the betrayals and you're if you're trying to do good, you're striving to, go, to do good in a setting, in a world around you that has either given up or like, look, you can try, man, but good luck making any real difference because it just doesn't. You know, that type of feeling where evil has the upper hand. And that's, that's interesting when you think about... <clears throat> kind of a low magic setting with a, a ubiquitous level of magic of some sort because we're talking fantasy here, but you've dropped the power level. Oh, and on top of that, the bad guys have the upper hand because it's that's where the, the scales have tipped on you. I like that idea.
4: Yeah, and, and I think it's worth clarifying too that I think what Wayne means, and Wayne, feel free to jump in on this, but I think what Wayne means by evil has the upper hand is that there are There are really great powerful evils lurking sort of in the uh, shadows. In the showers, that's that's <laughs> that's, that's a different that, problem. Crazy. <laughs> no, kind okay. Of,
1: I don't want to play with you guys anymore. Yeah. <laughs>
4: but, you know, they're, they're looking in the shadows. There, there's these overlords uh, that are trapped under um,
1: in uh, under Kyber or in Kyber. There are, um, there's the. Oh yeah, it can't be. It can't be like obvious. Like, well, it's the dragon that lives right there and shows up every Wednesday. It has to be a almost a hidden evil. Yeah, yeah, and
4: and there are like you know not so hidden evils that exist um but they're not that powerful like the lord of blades you could kill him if you know Mm -hmm. if if you do it right um but the other interesting thing about ebron if you read the original ebron campaign setting and I, i can't recall if the 4e book does this as well as the pcs level up so too should the bad guys that they're doing things that are giving them experience that are
1: increasing their power level and so on. So it shouldn't be oh, like Oh, yeah. So the world the world continues to grow with you, right? right. Just because you went at, you went up 5 levels, hey, guess what? You know, so do the Lord <laughs> of Blades, you know. <laughs> exactly. Right. Lord mm-hmm. of Blades and Mistress of Death. Yes, they're both right there. Right. So, wow.
4: Exactly. And so and, and the reason for that is so that it's not like ding, I'm 12th level, I can go kill off a bunch of bad guys. You know, it's like it's it's a setting that's living and breathing as well.
1: You know, this reminds me of uh, oddly enough of uh, Delta Green, one of the first. I've not read the new stuff, but one of the first, um, well, the first series of books that I, that I have on Delta Green, the core, and so on. The Chirotechia is the um, basically the throwaway bad guys. They're the they're the Nazis that that did the whole, you know, oh my god, we're gonna raise Cthulhu and do craziness and whatnot. It's Emerald, Claw everyone, yeah, yeah, they're the guys you can just fucking mow down, right? You, you, you can there, punch you them in the just, face and not feel guilty. Yeah, because you're like, they, like they're 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 Cthulhu Nazis. How many evil can you get? Fucking kill them, right? But the real stuff, the real, actually, you know, like they're like the the creature you see up front. You fought it. You shot the Nazi bastard. You stopped him from raising Yog Sothoth. But hey, guess what? That was actually the Kiretechia agent you, you found. They're actually a pawn of a Narlathotep cult. Right. Oh my God, right. the deeper evil beneath it. So you've got, as you as you said, you've got the lesser things you can go out and win, and you feel like you've got this kick-ass win, but behind it, behind the scenes, you've got the other piece of it. Exactly, okay. and
4: I've actually run campaigns like that where it's like it's layer after layer working their way up, you know, and then, you know, the player's sort of, you know, getting these reveals of like, holy crap, this is bigger than we thought, you know. Yeah.
3: It's funny that Brett mentions Cthulhu because that's... Not specifically that, but if you think about the amount of power that a, some Cthulian, Cthulian-esque um, creature has, and you're the guy there that's a detective with a gun. Everybody's got a gun. Or oh, that's, a, book, that's in, or a magic, book and a black right? candle. That's all I've got. <laughs> yeah, basically. like, I, Or you have a knife. And that's really where the characters start. Yes, you have access to a gun. But your enemies have access to all these other things because they are more powerful than you. And... Sometimes it is just you. You need to feel that kind of edge. Like, um, we're, we're talking about the dark side of of, of here. The second thing, um, I'm trying to remember what I was going to say. Uh, the second thing is um, actually, I think it was you guys and uh, Chris Niesack actually turned me onto reading Knights uh, Black Agents and the Conspiramid idea. Yeah, the Conspiramid. Yep, that's yeah. really cool. The Conspiramid idea uh, is is basically what Christians talk, what you guys are talking about, and that's that's the way you kind of want to. Reveal this mystery is that you got these levels and levels, and you have these responses and whatnot. It, I actually took on of took a page uh, after listening to you guys um, when you talked about Gumshoe and how to run investigations. I, I took that into consideration when, when I run uh, more recently when I run or I talk about Eberron. Is that if you're running stuff in D and D, you know there's a slight limitation, but if you take some of these ideas to apply. How it works in D and D, and how it works in Eberron. It actually works quite well. You, you, you need to do a little bit of research. Um, you know, not we're not talking about the kick in the door, swashbuckling action side. We're talking about the multi-layered. The your enemy is much more powerful than you, and they're moving behind the scenes, and you're stumbling along trying to figure out how do I get to it. You know, and sometimes they might have allies, it might be enemies. You've got those shades of gray in there. Um, you know, Eberron. If it was a film, it should be filmed in black and white, pretty much. And then, you know, those splotches of color—think like uh, Sin City, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That—that's really like, if you can, if you were to turn it into a movie, you turn it into campaign into a movie, it would be filmed in black and white. You know, basically.
1: So when you mention the swashbuckling, some of that stuff. Now, when I think swashbuckling, you think like no magic, at least I tend to. Um, but you know, daring do and craziness and, you know, high, kind of high adventure and so forth. I often feel that in a, in a low magic game, and it feels like this would be this, and we're using Eberron obviously as kind of our, as our touch point here, but it feels like that type of thing to me, even with the ubiquity of um, a lower power, the scale of the magic is down. Those type of adventures are still readily available too. Like if you want to be a pirate and you want to have that classic piratey type stuff, you could totally get away with that with this type of setting where even if there is some magic and there's, there's lightning rail and yeah, sure. There's a war forge, but now you could have that war forge pirate and that's totally cool because it fits because you don't have crazy ass, Power levels yeah. everywhere you can still go total swashbuckler.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually glad you touched on that because I was going to mention, you know, Wayne did talk about the dark side, but there's also that swashbuckling, you know, Rages of the Lost Dark Pirates of the Caribbean style as well that you can do in Eberron. And really when you think about things like the lightning rail, the airships and such, that that technology, when you have an adventure that features one of those things, it's not about the technology. It's about getting you to the destination where you can have that adventure.
1: Yeah, it's like the Last the crus- Indiana Jones, Last Crusade, right? right? You get on the Zeppelin and... Uh, Red yeah. line
4: across the map, right? Exactly. And then exactly. the action takes place at the location. You know, that's that's what's important. Um, that's not to say that you can't have, you know, like high adventure on an airship or on a lightning rail. In fact, some campaigns, some adventures that have been published specifically even feature that. Um, but that it's, it's really just a way to... to I, if anything, I actually really appreciate it coming from Greyhawk. I was a huge Greyhawk fan. Because I would look at the this massive map of Greyhawk. I had
1: the four panel pie, oh, yeah. piezer
4: map and I would look at I'm like, I can't explore all this in the campaign. Like it's
1: it's Yeah, there's I I can't possibly get from point A to point B unless I get a griffin or something. There's no way. Right. And even then, even then no way. Right.
4: So what the airship allows me to do, you know, in, in, in my adventure is I can hit all of these points. I can go all over the world in theory. And and have all these really diverse experiences as, as part of this sort of you know high action swashbuckling adventure, um and and I think, yeah that's that's high magic but what happens once you're back on the ground, it, it's
1: still just D and D you know in in many ways. Okay, Sean, you still with us? You good? Yeah, yeah, man. So Sean, I'm gonna ask you one here. When when you yeah. are thinking about Eberron adventure and so forth magic items, characters, gear, what do you think of as, you know... I mean, when I think about a Forgotten Realms character, I'll pick on the realms, or even my old Greyhawk characters, it was not unheard of for me to have, you know, two, three magic rings, a plus one dagger, a plus two, three sword. You know, you're... At at a certain point, you've... Oh, you're you're geared up. I mean, you're literally geared up with magic. And it sounds like in your Eberron campaign, that's not going to happen. Is there... um, My assumption is with Ubiquity and the power level... Magical gear, like your oh, – a wand is – how do I say this? Permanent magic, magical gear, armor, swords, things that don't get used up. Is that stuff common or is that less? What do you think, Sean?
0: Well, certainly – so one thing we haven't mentioned is that different people's Eberron's campaigns are going to be different, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Like they can they can amp up the magic – if they want to right because one thing even the guys talk about this on manifest zone and keith does too a lot of people will ask about well what what's this about or what's that about or hey can i do this or hey can i do that and the setting and all the components that are in it like any d d setting can always be changed by the game master and the players like make it your make it your own so having said that, my, my take on that is I don't, I would not probably flood the campaign with a huge amount of magic items, unless they're more practical, right? So healing potions may be more practical, some of those things. But when you start getting into, you know, plus two weapons or, you know, rod of seven parts, those are really rare and that kind of goes along with the theme of what we've been talking about tonight where the the common magic is common because of the of the way the world is but when you start getting into higher magic items it's the same thing as the magic power of the the campaign setting now somebody else could be out there and say they're gonna they're gonna amp it up and that's totally cool so I think I would use it in a more moderate approach.
1: So even if we took the Eberron piece of it out, in a low magic setting with this type of ubiquity, with a low level power, you would you would moderate or kind of lessen the gear, right? A plus one breastplate is going to be pretty freaking cool. Not that common. you know. A plus two sword, not going to have a lot of those laying around, is what I'm hearing you say.
0: Right. Unless, unless of course, I was running an adventure where some of those things may be necessary in order to achieve what's needed. So maybe they're up well, against yeah, I, yeah, but baddie the baddie that needs The, it, the impact
1: right? of finding such a thing is, go- is, this is one of the beautiful things to me about a low, about a low magic en- environment. I mean, if we're running, and you know the three of us are playing, and Sean's like, all right, you find this thing, we identify, we're like, oh my God, it's a plus two sword. I'm assuming... you know. <laughs> Wayne Christian I look at you like oh, oh f- what where's this from how did we find oh my god what's the story behind this thing my assumption is that it's a big damn deal Christian am I right there
4: yeah I mean I, so I, I think there's, there's a couple things that we have to consider too and it's addition of D&D um, or even just what system
1: you're using if it's not D&D Oh, I was getting buggy about that because I know you also did uh, a Savage Worlds retcon yeah. for this thing too. So,
4: like in 3.5 three, or 3rd edition in general, magic items were really important. You had to have magic items in yeah. order to get past, like, damage reduction, for example.
1: Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. I mean, in yeah. 3.03.5 Pathfinder, no gear? You fucked. You're, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's exactly. just how it happens. Now, I think.
4: Yeah, same and fourth. Yeah, same and fourth, really? right? So I I think, and Wayne, you might know more. You might be able to speak more to this than I. Um, I think in fifth edition, they've mitigated that somewhat. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, like having run it in Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds magic items are not that important. You don't need that much, you know, in terms of magic items. So in my Eberron, in Savage Worlds, people are not walking around with you know plus one fighting plus one damage, you know, long swords. Um, And if you do have one, it's a big deal. That plus one goes a lot farther than in, like, say, in D&D, for example. Mm-hmm.
1: Wayne, if I'm right, I, I think I'd agree with you. In 5e, uh, I know Sean's running running it right now, and I've, I'm playing plenty of it. So there's, yeah, I would agree with, <clears throat> that with Christian's statement that we don't have as much reliance on gear. Gear is really wicked cool, but the way the classes are built right now, I really don't need the gear as much.
3: Yeah, so specifically for let's talk about 5e for a sec i mean DD in general fifth edition uh, magic items are not required Um, you don't Mm -hmm. have to give them out they are a complete bonus your character classes and whatnot are built on the fact that you don't necessarily need them like they're not required to play the game correct um now that said it means people might have to play the game a little differently like if you have a, a game that has basically no magic items there might be some different things. I mean, uh, having a, a fighter or something like that that doesn't have a magic weapon, um, damage reduction or damage immunity uh, might come into might come into this thing, and and you're looking at different things here. But um, in specifically talking about Eberron, um, and we're gonna I'm gonna step away from three and fourth because uh, they had a system. So in third edition and fourth edition, they had a system whereas you would purchase. Or you'd be able to purchase magic items because they had a cost. Um, you, you knew how much it cost, and you knew how to upgrade or purchase one if you get the chance to. Fifth mm-hmm. edition, until more recently, there was no cost for magic items. There was a rarity. There was it was a common, uncommon, rare, very rare, or uh, legendary item, um, and that was it. Like those are the those are your rarities, but it wouldn't give you a cost. it, it would give you something approximate. You can kind of take a guess at it. I, I think with Eberron, what it would introduce, um, and the way that I have looked at it is that <clears throat> it you can now sort of cost out some of the earlier items. A common or an uncommon item, and maybe even a rare item, might have almost a standardized cost because they would have the ability to make them more efficiently or make them more uh, available. So now you could maybe maybe get a common item. Um, you know, other than a potion of healing, you could get maybe a common item or even, even an uncommon item if you kind of stretched it you'd be able to find those, uh, you, sorry, you'd be able to purchase those with, with gold or, or with favors or whatnot. But the stuff at higher levels would start sort of disappearing because there, is no, there was no call for making magic items that powerful um, because you could not, you know, you couldn't arm everybody with a plus one sword, you couldn't arm, arm your whole thing, but you, maybe you could arm all your commanders with something a little more powerful the stuff that was more powerful than that was not cost-effective, maybe, for House Canada to create. So nobody was going to be like, I want a plus-three sword, or I want a Vorpal Blade. Well, no one's going to make that for you, because you're one person, and a fireball is going to drop your second-level ass, sort of thing, right? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) And and, and something from 3rd Edition and 4th Edition that people know is that the non-player characters, the NPCs, um, are not the same as... PCs they're not like you know except for your villains and and the people are supposed to level up with you the prince is still a noble you know three hit dice four hit dice when you're 15th level he's still a three to hit dice noble his power comes from politics he didn't go adventuring with the rest of you guys and same with with magic items you may go find a crypt and you might find something uh, you might find a long lost sword and it might be powerful but no one else is kind of creating those and that's that's one of those things that, you know, everybody might have a gun. That means everybody might have a common wand or everybody might have, you know, those wand slingers might be able to have like that kind of special wand, maybe costing, you know, a few paychecks to do. Not all of them or not very few of them are going to have a wand of the war mage plus two or plus three. You know, those things are impossibly rare, even though it says, quote unquote, very rare. You know, those things are... Extremely rare, because no one's making those well yeah, and there's no, and to be yeah, fair, there's like, nothing there. like a
4: wand is just an arcane focus in five e, <clears throat> yeah, that's it, like True. it's nothing well I mean
1: the, well there's magic there's magical wands too you can find there's gear, oh yeah you want wonders and all that crap, yeah.
4: but I mean, but in the sense like like Keith Baker wrote <clears throat> about wandslingers and wayfinder's guide, and all he's saying is like anybody could be a a, a wandslinger,
1: oh got you it, know. okay yeah. so Christian, when you're running Ebron right now so. Um, wait, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna table that one and ask this other question instead. So it sounds to me, <clears throat> in a low in a low magic setting, even like one of the things that I do in in Avalon or whatever is you'll find a magic item and it's pretty freaking potent. It's it's ha- at that level of where the normal ubiquity power level is X and this is X times four or X plus five or something crazy like fuck me. It's like a focal point of the thing the story the adventure that that component it's it's a big it's a big damn deal it's the it's the um maltese falcon if you will so it feels like that's the same type of thing we're talking about here right when you have one of the draws to a low magic environment is when you find something that's got oomph to it what i think we're saying here if i boil it down is that that oomph makes it really fucking cool and it's usually named it's important And there's a reason for it to be here. It's not just laying around. right?
4: And, and in fact, uh, like in Savage Worlds, for example, that's actually Clint Black, who's the core World's brand manager for Savage Worlds, he'll, uh, if you point at something in the fantasy companion where they have like all these magic items, he's like, if you have a magic item, it better be a named thing. Because in Savage Worlds, magic is, you know, again, it's very powerful for what it grants. And, you know, it shouldn't just be a plus one sword. It should be like, you know, the sword of blah, 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 you know. Whatever it might be, some legendary thing. Um, now, the, the other thing I, I wanted to touch on, though, is like, you know, I, I wanted to ask you, Brett, I'm, I'm going to yes. ask you a, a question, actually. Damn it! Um, when you looked at third edition D&D, did you see that as high magic? Like, just the
1: base core rules? The base core rules? Yeah. Were you like, oh, this is high magic, or... I did not see high magic. I saw it is. Oh my god, this is crazy overpowered. Because feats, fucking ha- what? I mean, the well, that, that's the twist, that's like the, cl-
4: like character <clears throat> abilities, but I mean, like as far as like the, the magic spells and the presence of magic items or the presence of, of magic in in, in the D and D assumed
1: world. No, it didn't really bother me. Honestly, it wasn't until fifth edition they started to tear into that because when I run, I run the game the way I'm going to run the game. When I run D and run D and D the way I do. And if I want to give out magic items, I give them out or whatever, and if you have a monster you can't defeat because you don't have the plus one sword and the weapon, you know, or excuse me, the damage reduction's too great, you better fuck better out of the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah totally. so it never it the way I run it, this is where <laughs> I know people people give me shit for this, is I basically game master over certain things. Like, look, this is the setting, this is the way it works. Go for it. And I've not run I've not run a setting that's had a high magic feel to it. I've not run a Forgotten Realms setting in a very very long time, or anything like that. I've um, even when I ran Greyhawk in third edition, it didn't feel crazy powerful to me because it was the guys were cleaning out uh, the Grand Duchy of Jeff after the Giants took over. So it was it was just a different type of feel. Okay,
4: so so here's something that's interesting. I don't I don't know if you're aware of this, or maybe you are. Eberron was developed and designed assuming 3E mechanics were in the world. Oh, okay. So, you know, for example, the original, the, the way um, lycanthropes were represented in terms of, like, the lycanthropic purge and stuff, that was based on how lycanthropy spread in 3rd third, third edition rules, 3.0, which changed yeah. in 3.5, so they had to kind of figure a way out of, out of that <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because they were developing Eberron while, you know, 3.5 was coming out. But a lot of the things in Eberron are all assuming... The, the mechanics of dungeons and dragons third edition exist in the world hence the repeatable observable etc regarding magic makes sense um and in fact one of the things that, that everyone actually did is that they actually sort of suppressed the magic level again um by saying there's really nothing above this level like there's no like high-powered npcs out there you know the, mm-hmm. the heroes the pcs are the heroes of the world they're the ones that should be the powerful ones in the world so, interesting. I like that. Yeah, so I guess and and the point I'm trying to make is that, you know, if 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 you're assuming that D&D itself is not necessarily high powered, you would you would have to, you know, by I guess what is that associative property? Um, presume that Eberron is not necessarily
1: high powered magic. Well, that's that's a good point because I mean, if it's based <clears throat> That's interesting. This is where, you know, if you choose a rule set that To fit your setting, which is what most of us try to do. Like, hey, I want to run this setting. I'm trying to find a rule set, either of my own design or variation, blah, 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 that that fits it, that makes it really work. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why when things translate from three to four and four to five, people want to make sure they keep the flavor and don't lose it when you, because when when the core rule like DD, changes how whether magic items are assume that you have X number of them or assume that you don't have any of them or, hey, you don't even need those damn things or whatever it is. Huh, that's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about that, especially for a setting like Eberron, an official one. Yeah,
4: and it, and it can be challenging because as you move across editions or if you've
1: even if you move to a different system, then you can't. Oh, you talk about edition moves, man. You look at the realms, and my favorite realms are first edition realms. Yeah. When I run first edition AD&D realms, I never had the feeling that I got when it got second and third and third when I started reading third stuff I'm like holy fuck what did you guys do it just felt like everything went it just got bigger, and bigger oh yeah crazy
4: I, mean, I, I struggled with Greyhawk because it has so much legacy stuff from older editions in terms of like and again assuming mechanics from older editions that events you know occurred and took place and so on that don't really make sense in like say third edition for example like, and they're, they're minor yeah. things, but you're just like it's it makes it kind of tricky to reconcile
1: yeah, it does. I you mean, know. I remember realms going from first to second, total tangent here, folks. Um, and then there were no half works and bards were a class, and it was just no assassins anymore. It was, And those were core things in First right. Nation that were just <laughs> gone, and there was no such thing back, back in the day, kids, as a prestige class. It just didn't fucking exist. You had to wait for Splatbook Hell to land before you right. could find all that crap. Right. So just to look around the realms and go, so what happened to all the illusionists? Right. Because that's not really a thing exactly. anymore. Where 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 they go? where's the half-orcs? They just die. What fuck? You know, yeah, it got yeah. weird. Yeah, it gets weird.
4: It gets weird. And
1: <coughs> Excuse me. So
4: so I guess, you know, again thinking about D&D like, you know, it's we we're saying that it's not high magic. It's definitely not low magic per se. It can be depending on what you do as a GM. But I think default D&D at least for the sake of of the conversation around D&D would really be
1: sort of middle magic. Right? Like Yeah. You know, and what's interesting is when we talked a little bit, a little bit about this off the mic, so I want to bring it in right now. So when I, one of the things we started talking about before this, folks, was I I said, you know, you think far from the great miles, you think low magic. And Christian had said, yeah, like Conan's low magic. And then it stopped my brain for a second. I'm like, wait a minute. In Conan, the magic they're doing, they're trying to change, like, the climate. Somebody's causing a river to flood by causing it to rain in the mountains. In uh, I think Hour of the Dragon, and um, or they're summoning demons, like literally demons from hell, or or wizards are going into crazy ass places and coming back with bizarre, insane powers. In the in the one tale, um, I can't remember what it is, but uh, Conan cuts the head off a wizard, and the body gets up and just starts looking for the head. Right, right. right. <laughs> it's like it's he he cannot <laughs> die. It's fucking crazy. And then you look at even Fafnir the Grey Mauser. There are points when Far from the Mauser, go from Nuhan to Earth. They're basically in the Mediterranean area, and then where they encounter a gentleman. I think he speaks German, and he's riding on a dragon. And they plane—they literally plane hop. And there's big, crazy-ass magic that happens. It doesn't those are, happen often. Yeah, those are exceptions, right? There. Yes, like, this are is they-
4: story-driven. Like uh, you know, like amazing. You know, it, it's the stuff. It's why we read those books. Right. It's it's like, wow, this this amazing, powerful, magical thing just happened to them. And now they have to deal with it. This isn't something like you're walking down the street and there's like, you know, wand slingers all over the place.
1: Yeah, I mean, in that case, it's the ubiquity fact, right? The ubiquity meaning the fact of appearing anywhere right. and being very common, right? So it's not common. So you're like, motherfucker, dude, just summon a demon. And that's when Conan f- freaks mm-hmm. out, which is crazy, because Conan finds, like, guys that summon demons every two weeks, apparently, right. according yeah, to the stories. Exactly. He, can't, he can't slay a dead cat without you
4: know, summoning another and, demon. And, and most magic users are also very evil. In uh, Farford and
1: Grey Mauser, mm. it's a little bit different, um, because you have you know Grey Mauser himself, and... Well, what, even what? then, though he he basically kind of got black magic, killed his girlfriend's right, you know right. dad, and then you've got Ningobull, the Seven Eyes, and Shilba. They're not nice people. It gets creepy. Yeah.
4: I mean, but even look at Greyhawk, right? You had the Reign of Colorless Fire at one point, which is oh yeah, yeah. yeah, the epic
1: ba- level. Uh-huh. Like that's probably even beyond epic level in D and D terms. Yeah, that was the Backlonish and the Flan, if I'm right, uh, or the, it was Suleys, Suleys, yeah. Sulees, the soul- yeah, Sulees, yeah, yeah. Yep. and yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so th- and now it's a big blasted desert beyond the uh, beyond the exactly. mountains.
4: Exactly. So you know, you have that that concept of like that level of magic exists. It's just not happening every day. You know, but um, it's it's in
1: yeah okay yeah and, and you
4: know in Ebron we have you know that we had the day of mourning. Seer, an entire nation was is now just a wasteland. You know, mm-hmm.
1: so so is the is the is the low level aspect of it the everything we've talked about is that what draws I guess the three of you is that because that's what's drawing me to it right now. It makes me want to go grab a book and, and read this thing. Is that the draw for you guys? Because you prefer it over the higher level stuff? You're you're bigger, crazier. Everybody's got a plus two blade. Um, or, or what? Is that the draw for you because of because of that, or is it just um just a palate cleanser? You you like it as much as you like anything else?
4: Well, for me, um, what actually drew me to Ebron was the the idea of Raiders of the Lost Ark meets Maltese Falcon meets Lord of the Rings. Um, I love films like the mummy, the mummy returns, Van Helsing, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like those, those high action over the top, you know, swashbuckling type things. And I used to actually play Greyhawk trying to do that. Okay. And you know, and always felt like it felt, it felt kind of short in some ways. Um, it, it, and, and there was just something about Eberron that, you know, you had the exotic locations, you had the ease of traveling. That was the big one, being able to <laughs> explore all these locations more easily than, say, in Greyhawk. If I start in the city of Greyhawk near the near dive, I'm like, how the hell am I going to get down to, like, you know, like the jungles in the south, you know? It's going to take trekking <laughs> yeah. for months, if not years, <laughs> to get there, you know? Or yep. take a ship. Or, Roll for know, random yeah, encounter. exactly. Exactly. Um, but as far as magic, um, yeah, I did also <laughs> like the fact that there's not you know, the Elminsters, you know, walking around the world, uh, showing up the PCs, the PCs are the Elminsters, you know, and that's, that to me is a very empowering thing from a, a storytelling perspective. It's, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the PCs are the hope for the world,
1: you know? Very cool.
3: Wayne, what do you think? No, I definitely agree with that one. I think one of the first things I picked up when I saw the third edition book was that, um, It was the characters are the heroes, you know, you, you know, you looked at, you kind of looked at the, the non-player characters, you know, they're like, they're low level, they don't have that much power. Uh, Most of the time, they're not even, you know, their addition, they're not even character classes, they're like an expert, or they're a noble, or they're, you know, an adept, like, they don't have a lot of power. That was a big thing was that you got to be the hero. Um, you know, when when we started playing it, we didn't, you know, hopefully matured a little bit more. But we didn't play as much of the dark, uh, the darker aspects, the dark fantasy aspects. We really loved the swashbuckling thing. I mean, um, the you know jumping off, you know, even almost like superhero likes. Like when you get to the higher level stuff, it's just the the fun stuff that instead of looking at the best option, you just kind of do whatever's kind of interesting. You could basically say, like, th- I'm Batman, and it works. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. Like, you, you literally, <laughs> you do the superhero landing, you know, in Sharn, the rain's coming down, and everybody freaks out because they're about to try to mug that person, you know. Um, the other part was the techno- the magic as technology. I thought that was that was mm-hmm. in, incredibly different, you know. Instead of, you know, Elminster or Mardukainen or Bigby, holding all the power in their hands and keeping magic, you know, suppressed or whatnot. Someone figured out how you use magic as a power source and as a technology, and they created these things that are very fantastic, very magical. But if you you took the logical step of like, you know what, we have something that has practically an unlimited power source, and you just study hard enough, you could learn it, here's what would happen, you would create. A magical sentient construct. You would create a train. You would create a telephone or a telegraph. Technically a telegraph I guess. Um, You would create. Magical light. You know everywhere. Um, You'd create. I mean. You'd create a moving. Land battleship. City. That basically goes from. Patrols the border. You know. Breland has like three or four of them. That basically. I may be wrong about the number, so don't quote me. But, you know, you have these gigantic city uh, things that basically roll on their wheels and, and, and float is back and wrong, forth. Is it Argonth? The... There's one active and one deactivated, and I think there's a third one. Yeah. I'm, I'm, anyway, I'm yeah. going to have to look this one up. Argon- Ar- no, <clears> Argonth I is, it. The, yeah. is the
4: active one that travels the borders yeah. of Breland.
3: Yeah. And, and I loved Warforged. I love the fact that you could have this blank, almost a blank slate soldier. Someone fully grown but might have the ideas and personality of a child and all they know is raise my fist, bring it down on someone's head. Raise my fist, bring it down on someone's <laughs> head. Um, and I loved that. I loved the blank slate. I loved that. The power, of course, that was really cool. But to be able to just step in and be like, you know what? <clears throat> I, get to, I get to come out of that. And the last thing was the, the last war last war only ended a few years ago and now all of a sudden you are in a new you are in a post-war environment like literally post just post-war environment what does it feel like yeah it's you not have it,
4: this it's not even peace either it's it was yeah yeah just a treaty it's um
3: ceasefire, ceasefire environment yeah. right yeah and yeah. Every, like and that's it, you got so much stuff to hang your hat on in eberron and don't get me wrong. I mean, there's lots of stuff to do in all these different settings. But in Eberron, you were given, <clears throat> you almost hand, given a handhold, uh, being handheld. Be like, here's the stories that are best told in Eberron. the the post-war story, the coming home story, mm-hmm. the the noir, the the inquisitive, the the whatever the. I'm going to go into the jungles and explore the. Yeah, I'm going to do. We can seriously have what, could, what is
1: it? What is it? To, what is it to be life, right? I mean, if you're doing yeah. Warford, you've got the whole exactly. classic. What is it? Oh, to Oh, absolutely, be human, yeah. If you we, want,
4: and, uh, or even like if you want to do cosmic horror, that's there too. You know, if you ask, mm-hmm. if you ask a room full of Ebron fans, what makes Ebron Eberron, You're going to get different answers from everybody.
1: You're, you're, which is cool, right? Because if it does it, if it only, if it like, well, it's X and that is it. It doesn't have a level of. Breath and depth, right? If it only can, if it's a one-trick pony, it's a yeah. one-trick pony. Yeah. Sean, what are you thinking, man? And <clears throat> what drew you, Bron? Was it the low magic? Was that the was that the differentiator for you? Like the low magic with that with those components, and the types of stories we've talked about? Is that what kind of brought you?
0: I think it was the, and I've said this before on the show. It has to do with the the fantasy setting, but it's that it has non typical components. So some of the things that, you know, Greyhawk has and Forgotten Realms has, there are elements of that in Eberron for sure. I mean there's factions, there's politics, but you know, you don't you want to go across the world, there's a method of transportation to do that versus travel, travel and travel some more. And and just taking forever to get to some place, right? Um so I think that, for me, it's more more of a comprehensive overview of it. There's everything goes together and fits together. I don't just sit there and say, well, I like it because it has Warforged. Or I like it because the magic is more practical and pragmatic, yet it's not overpowering the, the whole setting and the world. It's a combination
1: of all that Plus stuff. Plus you get halflings riding it, dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, man, halflings riding dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, I don't,
1: I don't see how that's bad in any universe, really. That's just cool.
0: So <clears> I think cool. that, that's most of my take on Eberron. And, and the noir and pulp feel of it is really something that's a little out of the usual than, than your typical campaign setting.
1: All right, so i got one more for all three of you. Sean, if you were going to run Eberron right now, what rule setting would you use? What rules um, would you use?
0: I would probably run 5e. 5e yeah i would probably run 5e um especially now that you know the wayfinder foundation's been out there on dm's guild and uh 5e's not bad not 5e's not bad
3: wayne Uh, i'm a D &D guy so fifth edition um pretty much you wouldn't go
1: back to you wouldn't go old school you wouldn't go three
3: Hell no! Um, God, no! no I, think, oh, Christian. I think I've talked about this on the show. Where I didn't um, even talk to Christian. He's like, <laughs> "Fuck that." Um, fifth edition. <clears throat> I, I've I've spoken to you know the designers of D and D before, and they're like, "Those are all step backs for them." And stepping forward, fifth edition has taken information from all these different games, um, anything that they were able to develop. Even now, they're still developing, and um, <clears throat> I mean. If Keith is gonna play it in Fifth Edition, I, I might as well follow him and play it. I mean, we did get a chance to to test and and read through some of his stuff, and I love Fifth Edition. I think it's it is the best of all the D and D editions um, because it has the I guess it has the best hindsight of all everything. Um, <laughs> and plus, I wrote stuff in Fifth Edition already, so I kind of have to follow through with well, it. Well,
1: there you go. <laughs> all right, Christian. So what what were you at? You're gonna savage you're gonna savage it up. You're gonna play Five E. You Obviously, are am playing Three O because you. Don't have the spine for it. Yeah,
4: no, <laughs> I, I mean, and, and I cut my teeth on, on 3035. Um, it, I, I went to Savage Worlds off of 35 because I just got burned down on 35. It was just too much. It was it was really hard to prep sometimes. Um, there were things about Savage Worlds that just mapped over just out of the box. Like, if you want mm-hmm. an artificer, you got arcane background weird science already built in. Arcane background weird science typically requires some sort of, you know, uh, substance like Ghost Rock and Deadlands, in Eberron, you got Dragon Shards. Uh, you had Action Points in Eberron in three five. Well now you got Bennies and a Wild Die, and you're even actually even more capable than you were in three five. Gotcha. Um, there were just
1: it, it just it it was. So you're gonna do that though? I mean, if you're if we're gonna play, we're gonna play right now. You're gonna pull out the savages. You savage it up. Or you're gonna go five e. So
4: I would I would go I would go savage worlds right now because it's what I know. It's what I'm comfortable with, and it is. Uh, it, in my opinion, it, it everything. I mean, even noir. Like, there's a Deadlands noir setting. Yes, for there Savage is. Worlds, it's like it's it just maps so tightly and so well. Um, that said, um, I've been playing Five E also for about a year, off and on. Like, we're supposed to be like once a month, but sometimes it doesn't work out. So, um, uh, and I've been reading and and getting more into it, and and seeing, having read Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. Uh, and seeing how Keith approached it, like when I saw sub races for Dragon Marks, I was like mm-hmm. mind blown. Like, I was like, oh my yep. God, that makes yep. sense. You know, and, and at one point, we were like, for example, we were talking about uh, half orcs with, with uh, the Mark of Finding and oh, yeah. the, the dark vision component of that, where, you know, we were like, you know, I was like, well, you know, how do you say this about humans? You know, they have dark vision. And then I was like, immediately, I was like, oh, they're actually half orcs. Let's just say they're half orcs. And that they're just more genetically expressed as humans, but they still have that dark vision trait. And so, the mark of finding is not really for humans and half-orcs, it's actually just half-orcs. And
1: there's just some Ah, half-orcs that just look
4: more like humans.
1: I actually did something like that in my Avalon setting. If you have an outlander from outside of Avalon, half-orc is much more bestial, right. And you have other outlanders that often make their way into Avalon that um, can have the aff work, but the, the, those bestial traits are very right, minimal. Right, it's, a, it's a, They pat, they uh, genetically just expressed differently. Right, ways, Genetic, as
4: yeah, exactly. Genetic expression. So, um, so when I when I'm uh, and then wand slingers and all these kinds of things, and I feel like five e, uh, one, it's just easier to run. Um, it's a it's a really elegant d- version of D anD. D and I think I think Eberon kind of works well with it, in terms of like assuming D and Disms in the setting, nice. um, like I and I I've struggled somewhat with some of the D and Disms. Trying to you know, I, I have to pull some of those things out when I play with Savage Worlds. Like, okay, that that's not really. I don't need to convert that. That's that's a D and Dism. I don't need to worry about okay. that. You know, um. So I I, I appreciate Eberron and Five E, but yeah, I'll I'll still default back to Savage Worlds.
1: So, gotcha. Cool. Sean, you got anything else, man? No, I think we should head on over to Die Roll. Boys, I'll tell you what, thank you for that, because that was was fucking eye-opening for me. That was really good. I love the the discussion about the ubiquity, the power level, the breadth and scale of the magic and so forth. I think, um, personally, I've got a better... um, uh, better vocabulary around what I mean when I say low magic now. Yeah. So that was really cool. Right. Thank you both. That so, so
4: Brett, real quick before we move on, what's what's your conclusion yeah. in terms of high versus low magic? What are those definitions for you now?
1: So I think right now, <clears throat> I think what we've talked about with Ebron, Ebron um, reaches a low magic component. I think what I would say high magic is when the ubiquity and the power level um, are at are at a higher point. So higher point being, you know, what do I say? Gods walk the earth. Um, you've got known wizards and towers meeting constantly with demons and devils. This is a regular thing in a fantastic world. People are calling meteors from the sky. They're changing the they're changing the face of the earth. Craziness. If you've ever played World of Darkness back in the old days, if you've read Mummy, for Christ's sake, that's high-end magic. Even mage <laughs> back in mm-hmm. the day. So I would think that the lower magic, the stuff I like, is very much like what we just talked about with Ebron, where... It exists because we need to have it. Um, the power level is low. It is more character-driven than gear-driven type of adventuring. And the stories are basically, again, around the characters overcoming odds and becoming heroes. And when there is a really cool, powerful thing, it's a focal point. So that's that's my off the top of my head how I would say I it. I like it. Cool. Thanks, man. Yeah, man. Shall we, Sean?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Come on, man. I can hit this damn button. <laughs> Do that. Jesus.
4: It's, right. it's, a, it's a
1: touchpad, and you can't hit the button.
4: 206 the button. episodes in, happens. and you can't get
0: this right. Yeah. I cannot, <laughs> man. Keeps everybody on their toes. All right. It's die roll. I'm uh, out. I'm
1: out. You boys are in.
0: All right. Brett doesn't have any this week. I uh, hammed it up a little bit. So, a few I've got. I'll start off, and then Wayne and Christian have one or two themselves. Handbooker Hand Helper. Do you guys see this? Handbooker mm-hmm. Helper. It's a new show by yeah. Critical Role that they're going to go over rules and helps old and new players. And the first show starts August 29th, 2018.
4: Looks interesting. I
0: think I don't know if Mercer's gonna be hosting that and I going think over he's, that. I saw his oh,
4: name but. associated with it. Um yeah. you know it it's funny when I see things like that, uh, coming from a UX background, I'm like, okay, if you need a video series called ha- handbooker Handbook or Helper for your rules
1: <laughs> maybe you have a rules maybe problem. A rules you're
4: but uh, but I, I feel that way about every single RPG, so I'm not just picking on D D you know, Savage Worlds, even, it's like we get we see the same questions come up over and over again on forums and social media. It's like, right. oh my god, you
1: know. But, but what if I had a, a D4 and it exploded? Would I have a better chance for oh exactly. my god, no, gonna not beat me to death? <laughs> like, just shoot uh, me in the face with a hammer. Yeah, go ahead, sorry.
0: <laughs> nine flying ships battle maps for your Eberron campaign from Cosmic Cartographer. So, if you want to check out Eberron and you want battle maps of flying ships to use in your campaign. There's uh, nine of them that you can choose from, which are pretty handy. Uh, Next one, Eberron Wiki. Wiki, wiki, wiki. So if you're looking for some information online, um, Eberron Wiki could come in handy. Uh, And then my next one, Manifest Zone. I've said this before. I'll plug these guys to show. If you want to know about Eberron, tune into these. Gentlemen. Probably go you listen. Give us a scoop. See what they say. What's that
1: one? What's that, <laughs> probably go see, listen to that. See what they say. See what they say. They, I hear they know a couple things. Sean, yeah. this is
4: supposed to be two to four miscellaneous points, man. I, yeah, he's he's covering for me. He's oh, covering for, for Brett, I am an overachiever. Right. I'm an overachiever all right. All right. at times, Christian.
1: He, he rolled a D4 and exploded. Fuck off.
2: <laughs> what happens?
0: Yeah. Savage Worlds the rules, buddy. Well played, sir. <laughs> well played. Keith Baker's blog. So Keith, for those of you that aren't familiar with Keith Baker, he was the original developer of Eberron. And so he blogs on occasion about... Uh, the world and different things about Eberron. So if you want to see what he's up to, check out his personal blog. There's the Eberron G Plus community. Aren't you, uh, are you the moderator and founder of that, Christian?
4: I am. But I'm going to be honest, there's not a lot of activity there. Like if you go to Eberron Enthusiasts, which I'm uh, sorry, Wayne. (laughs) I know that's weird. Um, There's there's, just a lot more going on there. And you'll get oh the Eberron enthusiast oh, yeah,
0: community. Yeah. I'll have to check mm-hmm. that one out. And then lastly, for me, Eberron Reddit. So if you're a Reddit fan and you want to get your scoop from from that website, they've got a an Eberron Reddit there as well. So that's all I got this week, Wayne. What do you want, to um, pimp?
3: Well, you guys mentioned it, uh, Eberron enthusiasts. There's like. And anyway, we five to ten new posts a day. It's on Facebook. It's, nuts. It's, it's crazy. People are so excited. And they're actually really, really nice people. Um, you know, it's a very, very, uh, very, very welcome community. So if you're on Facebook and you want to learn a little more about Eberron and be inundated with questions and whatnot, uh, Eberron Enthusiast is probably a great place to go.
1: This may be one of the only decent communities on Facebook, people. So check it out. Because <laughs> Facebook is <isn't> normally <laughs> very talkative, And, uh, and, uh, and well, Keith yeah, does you know. respond
4: there, and he does post it. Yeah, he issue. does. Oh,
3: very mm-hmm. cool. Very cool. So if, if you're looking for like a, like a specific lore thing that we haven't answered on Manifest Zone, go on there, maybe ask a question, and, and if Keith's got time, he usually does answer. Um, this is a slight plug, I guess, for Keith and myself and uh, Robert Aducci, Uh Curtain Call, Sharn Adventure. Um, we had a chance to go write something, and we wrote a first-level adventure, about four-hour play. Uh, we just went to Electrum on a uh, DM's guild, so you know if you want to go check it out, you know, be very happy. I'd be very happy for you to do that, and uh, please leave us a review. Um, we're, well done, well done. I, I really want to see some people like what they thought about it. Um, you know, especially we 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 really want to get this out, and and there was a lot, there was a ask for it in the community. So. If there's
4: one thing you're gonna yeah. buy other than Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron, it's Curtain Call. I bought it, Wayne.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Now I've got to. You guys got me like all stoked and (laughs) happy about this. I gotta go buy a bunch of shit.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Oh. The well. Never mind. (laughs) Moving on.
0: Go (laughs) ahead, Christian. All right. All all right.
4: So, um, you know, one of the things I've I've found interesting with the release of Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron and five E five E brought in a lot of returning players of D anD. d as well as a lot of new players to D anD. d and so there's there's a lot of people who are just new to Eberron as a whole and so i wanted to provide a link to my 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 thing is going to be the ebron archives from 3.5 this is like a ton of article con you know just great content about how to think about ebron some mechanical stuff and so on um starting with the gearing up for ebron articles that came out before ebron was released ebron uh was it Under the Glass, which is sort of a here's how you look at Eberron differently from regular D&D, and then the Dragon Shards articles, which I don't even know how many there are, which are just, you know, sort of additional details about the setting that you didn't get in the book. And so uh, I wanted to put that out there because I don't think a lot of people know that that exists. Uh, Most people will kind of link to even just the Dragon Shards, but a lot of those other categories of articles really have a ton of value in them, and I think it's really worth uh, exploring and diving into that um so check that out yeah
0: sweet awesome so awesome where so where does everybody go to find besides manifest zone wayne where can other people find you online if they want to tune into what wayne's got going on
3: um probably the best ways if you're looking for everyone's stuff get into the everyone enthusiast stuff um i try to help out and, and answer some questions um I usually just post a link. Christian's the one that talks more about, about stuff. I just be like, here, take a look at this. Um, otherwise, you know, I've got a manifesto in the podcast. I do another podcast about Dark Sun uh, called Bones on Residian. I'm not that active on Twitter or anything like that. Um, but the best way, uh, yeah, I mean, best way you tag me on something in, in Facebook or or uh, you take a look at the some of the website stuff, and uh, I'll try to respond best as I can.
0: Christian, where do people find you, man? What's going yeah, on? Yeah,
3: well, for
4: anybody who's interested in Savage Worlds stuff, um, I'm primarily on the g Savage Worlds community. That is the official community for Savage Worlds. Uh, the Eberron enthusiasts have been hanging out a lot there recently for obvious reasons, <laughs> um, as well as on the uh, Facebook official Savage Worlds community. I, I kind of loiter there a little bit. Uh, I'm also on, on Twitter, but my Twitter's kind of a mix between some gaming stuff and some, like, web design and development stuff, so it's Twitter's kind of weird because you can't really compartmentalize as easily. Uh, so if you're interested in both of those things, you can find me on there. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And then, of course, the Manifest Zone website, which is at manifest.zone.
0: Well, guys, thanks so much for coming on the show and helping me put Brett in his place.
1: <laughs> I, I am, I am in a place, and I have been put there, indeed.
3: <laughs> no, thanks for having us on. It's, it's fun. <laughs> it's all with love. It's all with love. <laughs> you say that now, but boy, that
1: was- <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh, that was good stuff.
0: Right, what are we talking about
1: next week, buddy? You know what? I had a different idea, but uh George Sedwick got my brain going with the moment of character death. He just mentioned it, we talked about it earlier briefly, so that's coming in, man. That's where we're going at.
0: All right. We'll have to check that one out. This has been another episode of Gaming EBS. Thank you to Wayne and Christian for both being on the show again, of course.
1: All right. Well, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all.
0: This This has has been a Litterbox Studio Production. production.